All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Anglers Happy Hour podcast. We talked to you uh, right before the U.S. Open. Uh, we were hanging out with Cody Spets. That was an awesome episode. We had a lot of great feedback there. He was a really fun guest. And, uh, you know, this week we don't have a guest uh, just because we've got a lot to catch up on, a lot to talk about. Um, we'll get the guest rolling again here really soon, but uh, let's let's run around the table and uh, get this thing started. Let's, uh, Nick, uh, I know you've been out of town, dude. Um, we missed you on last week's podcast. What uh, What's up your way, dude? <clears throat> hey, man, good morning. It's good to feel the love. Thank you for Thank you for missing me. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been busy. We uh, had fall break in the McMurray household, so we ran down to Mexico again for the majority of that, and we had a really good time, man. It uh, was able to shoehorn in some fishing, and uh, um, I had a lot of excitement going into that trip because I'd fished with that guy before. He's a saltwater guide down on the um, – so Mexico's kind of shaped like a funnel – He's out of a place called Siwatanejo, which is like the lower, as the funnel starts to get narrow and bends to the east, he's, he, that's where Siwatanejo is. And it was a lot of fun, man. We, uh, we had four days of fishing down there and, uh, we, we flew into Mexico city this time. And then we caught up with some of my wife's family and their kids. And then we chartered a little van and then the van took us on from there. It's like an eight hour road trip. And that uh, was funny. So wow. we got, Yeah. <laughs> How many people in the van, dude? Uh, I think there's 14 of us. No. 14 of us and eight kids. So it's pretty quiet. You know, it's kind of like a Buddhist retreat in that van. And people only got car sick coming home. So that's always the wild cars when people start (sighs) puking in the van. Because then you're like, no. And we've learned which van company to rent from. Because the first time we did it, you couldn't roll the windows down. So when someone starts puking and you can't get any fresh air, it's like a chain reaction. I remember you telling me about it the first time. It sounded miserable, dude. Was I got sick too? I didn't puke, but uh, I felt terrible. And then I bought a roadside coconut and participated in some of nature's natural electrolyte delight. And uh, within 20 minutes of that entering my body, I was like, "That guy's name Richard Goggins or James Goggins." I had my shirt off. I was jogging around the bus. Oh, David like, Goggins. David yeah. Goggins. I was like him. I was but anyways, so we flew into uh, Mexico City, and uh, Rob's already left. And uh, the very so we get off the plane, right? The very first meal, we we get in the bus and we drive through. Well, like a taxi from the airport, and we drive through. Just like Mexico City is the fifth largest city on planet Earth, so needless to say, the traffic is exceptional. So we drive through the traffic. We get to the hotel room. We're hungry. There's 14 of us, so making decisions is challenging, and we decided to just, like, hoof it from the hotel to get some food. And so we're walking down the sidewalks trying to prevent small children from getting ran over because the sidewalks are narrow, and there's a lot of people, and the traffic is aggressive. And so we finally stumble into this restaurant that doesn't have anyone in it, but it kind of looks nice, fancy-ish, and they're trying. So we sit down, and it's just a disaster from the start. And uh, 20 minutes later, we finally have placed our order and a bowl of chips comes out and we're all starving. So my wife dives in and I look at the bowl of chips and all of a sudden, like perfect camouflage, probably like what an elk looks like crawling up a hill of dead timber at 300 yards. I was like, I see movement. And there was a cockroach doing uh, doing the back stroke. 
yeah, on his back with all 14 legs wiggling. And my oh. wife has a chip in her mouth. And I'm like, spit that out, dude. Look, it came with protein. And so uh, that was like the very first experience we had on the trip. And so, fortunately, it didn't set the tone, but uh, it made for some loud noises. And we like got up. Did she freak out? out? The restaurant. She took it like a champ. She just like spit out the bite of chip. And the best part, this is like Mexico in a nutshell, which makes me smile, is that like the the restaurant manager, owner, whatever, like tried to pretend like it wasn't there. And he's like, I don't see it. I don't see it. He like took the bowl of chips away. And I think he was like trying to like flick it out. And like, yeah. yeah. Over, bro. Like I, I saw what I saw. <laughs> so that was the first day of it. We need and to do a montage of Rob's face in Nick's stories. Just every, every episode <laughs> Rob's cringe when you're telling your stories is one of my favorite things in life. It's a spectrum of cringeworthiness, right? Like, I just think they're all avoidable as a thing. (laughs) Yeah, but so are unplanned pregnancies, and here I am. So, 34 years later, here I am. So we finally get to uh, Siwa, and I had four full days booked with a guide, and it was it was good. The first day we got there, there was a hurricane slash tropical storm passing through, and it wasn't like right where we were, but it was enough that like the waves were like grande as they say down there and so i was a little nauseous for like pretty much the whole day because we were just getting tossed around but fishing was so good man and the style of fishing there it's cool so like it's an 11 foot super heavy action surf rod spinning rod and then a 5500 series spinning reel and it has like six football fields a 30 pound braid on it and then a 50 pound floral leader tied to that and then you use a, a giant um, lead spoon, like plug. it's a spoon, it's not a plug, and it's two ounces in weight. And so you take this apparatus and you, the goal is to cast it absolutely as far as you can. And normally we're a fishing structure, so there's like waves crashing on rocks or like the beach is really where you, you get, you go to party town. And, and you just cast. And then once you make that long ass cast, you put the rod tip vertical, you close the bail and you reel as absolutely fast as possible because you want that piece of lead ripping across the surface at, you know, Mach 7, which sounds somewhat easy, but was not in the beginning because it's just such like outrageously huge tackle. And uh, so the first couple of days was a little bit of a struggle fest just because there's like a lot of coordination and fatigue that came into it. But by the third day, you know, just like anything, it starts to get normal and you start to have some dexterity and things get good. And funny how your body kind of adjusts like the, it's like throwing a jerk bait that after you throw a jerk bait for like 15 minutes, you're like, how am I going to do this all day? And then two days later, <laughs> you're just ripping away. No problem. Right. And like bombing cast and accurate cast and all that. It's, it's cool. Like that part of it's kind of like, one of my most favorite parts is that you do grow into that. Sorry for that really loud notification. Um, and so that's the, that's the gist. And so the, the third day, the weather had really cooled down. It was, or it got really hot. The, the waves had normalized and they were only like three to five footers with the occasional six footer. Jeez. And the first day they were like, you couldn't even see, anything but sky as you were in the trough of the next one and uh so i had my sea legs and i was casting pretty good and and the thing of it is is that like so much similar to bass fishing you just have to keep casting right like you're in a good area but it's just like you only get rewarded if you keep casting so 
end of the third day, I had been just like casting, casting, casting. And we were fishing a beach and I made a really long cast and it landed. You wanted it to land in the crash of a wave where the water was brown because it was, you know, just where all the chaos was. And uh, so I made a good cast and I clicked over the bale and I started reeling. And on the, the crest of the next whale <laughs> wave, excuse me, the, the plug came through the barrel and inside the barrel, dude, you could see like two or three roosters and they were pretty good size. They're probably like 20, 25 pounders. And it was so cool, man. I just saw them like in the wave chasing my plug and just like they smoked it. What a cool mm-hmm. visual. Yeah, it was awesome. And it was at the end of a really long cast and they fight hard. So it was cool, man. It was really rewarding. That was at that time, the biggest one that I'd ever hooked like intelligently, you know, like I'd caught others where like your, your guide hands you the rod or like you just get lucky and make a bad cast and they eat it. But that was the first one that like the presentation was on point. So I was How on cloud nine. How big are those fish? So that one was like a 25 pounder. Everything's in kilos there. So like it's like a 12 to 13 kilo fish. Yeah. And so that, that was a good one. You know, it's kind of like the, the five to six pounder at Saguaro, right? Like there's a lot of them out there, but you still got to earn them. And like, it, it's something to be proud of, but I had nice. one day left. And so at this point I was playing with house money, you know, I was like, we had a different guide for the final day, but he was inside the network of the same people. So he knew what was up. And we got in the boat the final day and it was just a totally different vibe. He was the the regular guide and his son. They idle out there. You eat your breakfast torta and you, you know, talk smack to each other and everything. We got in the boat the final day and the guide's like, where'd you fish yesterday? And we told him and it was like a beach, like around the point. He was like, yeah, let's go somewhere else. And this like, guy was met. like legit. You think you're saying or, or well, uh... we're trying to figure it out. Right. Like it's still pitch black out. The sun's hardly coming up. And we're like, but you never doubt. It's like someone gets on Rob's boat and Rob tells him something. And immediately they're like, this guy's an idiot. Like, Always. I mean, who tows a boat with a Raptor? Like I should have went with somebody else, you know? So we're in the same <laughs> yeah, position the as that, time. you know? we're like let's go like I, I trust this guy dude this guy i had never seen full throttle in the boat that we've been fishing out of and they're they're like a 20 probably like a 28 foot super panga is what they're called but it's a pretty sweet little fishing boat and then it's got a 115 hand tiller on the back dude this guy just cranks it to kill and like pushes in and the tide was coming in so the waves are like cooking dude we just start pounding across the bay and then out into open ocean and we're going and i'm like okay like this is feeling good like let's go for it like it's the final day i love it we ran 25 miles wow and the first runs were like maybe seven ish to ten ish miles so like two and a half times that hour and 20 minutes later dude we get to the spot and the sun is up now so you can really see into the water and it's just chocolate milk and so my mind i was like dang it like that's just how gambles work, right? Like you got it, you got to take a shot, but those fish want clean water and you know, it's a rainy season there. And so overnight it had rained somewhere and it is just like puking oh. into the ocean. And so we're like, ah, you know, it is what it is. And I was already thinking like, this is my final day. I don't know when the next time I'll be back is I'm just going to like fish as hard as I can. So we spend three hours there and we, there's just like hardly any signs of life. And in my mind, I'm like, ah, oh, the day's just over. Cause we have this huge run back and like, it's okay. It just is what it is. And so the guide was super cool. He's like, do you want to go to that other beach? I was like, yeah, of course I do. And it was like one o'clock at this point. So it make the super long run back to the beach that we had been fishing. And at this point, like, I don't know what was going on, but it's like sea turtle mating season. And we stumbled upon like seven pairs of sea turtles making love 
in the ocean. It was the craziest thing ever, dude. Wow. They're like the size of like the hood of a diesel truck, one on top of the other, just like floating on top of the ocean. It was really cool. And like you could almost run them over and they wouldn't swim away. So I'm just doing my best to maximize and be in the moment and enjoy it. And we get to the beach that we've been fishing and there's just an absolute like the water was red from the boil that was going on. There was roosters, bonita, um, and a lot of jack cravals, and then just birds just like blowing up the water. And it, I mean, they're literally the water is red because there's so many sardines that are just getting eaten. So it's a good sign. So same thing, man, I'm casting, I'm casting, I'm casting. And uh, this time comes through the crest of a wave and there's four absolute like leviathan rooster fish zooming out and it's cool because you know when the wave gets to the crest you can see through it so it's kind of like clear and turquoise and six seven foot wave i mean it's just violence and my little plug shoots out of the barrel and you can just see their mouths chasing it oh it's oh, so awesome dude it's so awesome and this is like five hours of hallucinating in the hot humid sun casting and reeling a 15 pound setup right so like these fish are smart though. And so they weren't just going to hit it. Like they followed it halfway back to the boat. And like, I was able to slow down the plug, but keep it on the surface. And the first two missed it. And when that third one ate it, dude, it rolled over the top of it. Like you could see its mouth, eat it and just like tumble over it. I was so cool. It felt like hooking onto the back of a truck. Like my rod instantly doubled over. And like, they turn all these crazy colors. Cause I don't know what it is about pelagic ocean fish but you've probably seen pictures of like marlin and mahi mahi when they're like lit up to eat something they're like yellow and turquoise and white same thing man this fish was just like neon boom he hit it and so ah he starts pulling drag and like i can see the spool that's how far he ran but he ran back in towards the beach and so there's this 48 or 50 inch long fish and you can't even see it and it's probably in like half a wave to the beach and that's how like violent the surf is there you can't even see that huge fish but uh it was cool it was like a 40 minute battle and i got a boat side and got it in and uh it was it was such a wonderful end to the trip like i i'm still just like unbelievably grateful i'm probably the most proud of that fish i've ever caught just because of how it came and you know, some of the effort that went into it. It was, it was special. Do roosters jump? Occasionally they do. They're kind of more like a pit bull on a leash. They just gotcha. pull so hard. Like you, you, you crank down the drag and you think that like, there's no way. And they're still just like burning. Huh. It's cool. I remember, you know, our early days of our friendship, man, a long time ago, you were sending me videos of rooster fishing stuff. I know you've always had kind of a fascination with them and they're obviously just a killer looking fish, man. So pretty cool. As Wally would say, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you're using your versatility as an angler here. Um, on these, yeah, thank on you. These fish. <laughs> it's not so much versatility as much as that compliment feels good as it is just paying someone to fish their juice and then take trophy shots on their boat with their tackle. <laughs> holding almost their pet fish but to the average person it looks like i'm a versatile capable angler and that's what i tell myself at night do those do those guides down there have decent equipment are you fishing with good rods and reels and line and everything i have a feeling that that's not universally the case but the guy that i fish with has like exceptional stuff so Hmm. it was a pen battle 5500 power pro braid solid fluoro um it was a shimano I, everything was amazing because yeah. you know you get all 
romanticized by it. So I went home and started shopping and thinking like, oh, I'll just get my own little set and I'll fish from the beach. It's like, yeah, I'm not spending 700 bucks on a setup that I'm going to use like once a decade. (laughs) Did you fish alone or did you uh, bring people uh, with you? So I, yeah, I brought uh, one of a different, uh, he's not blood related, but he's always in the tribe. He's the husband of one of my wife's cousins and he's a guy I took to Sinaloa. He did okay. the Baccarat trip with me. And so it was super cool because like, man, he, he caught a lot of fish too. And so the way that works is that like the, the fool with the artificial setup stands on the front of the boat and just casts and they pretend like you're going to catch something, but like you just cast all day and catch nothing. And while on the back of the boat, they have a live bait. And so whenever, whenever you tease something up that doesn't eat, which happens a lot, they just pitch out like a, he gets the rewards, of a that. stocked rainbow trout sized bait fish. And about 14 seconds later, you can hear the dress. So dude, by the end of the, the end of the third day, Ivan was like, so tired. He was like, I don't even want to catch anything because he caught five fish to my one. He never got seasick either, which is impressive because he'd never been on the ocean and the guy's battling like 25 pound jacks all day in the sun. So, so did the live bait perform in the dirty water? Did he catch them up there on that long run or not? No, Nothing. no, they, they were just out like that yeah. dirty water just pushes them out. Cause they have like 7 million miles of beach to that's the other right. part of that. That's so maddening is that like, sure. The watercolor gives it away that it sucks, but we've been to other, we went to other beaches where it was clear and it's just not there. So it's, it's crazy. Those fish are, I, I'm sure someone understands it, but it certainly isn't me. Hmm. Amazing. He stuck around for three hours in that dirty water. You would, you would think he would just be like, eh, sorry guys. Yeah. And but. that's a good thought too. You know, maybe we just had, we had invested so much in that run and, yeah. and it would like clear up a little bit. It would go from like chocolate milk to like chocolate milk with half a glass of water in it and then back. And so it, it's cool to see it when I was there the last time it's the dry season. So when it's rainy, like you can just see like the difference on the hillside is like neon green and there's just inlets dumping in there and so you'd get into an inlet and the swells were wild and it was just chocolate milk and then you get away from one of those it'd clear up but yeah i know what you're saying it was it was just one of those deals you know like i should have i should have maybe said something but it all worked out in the end what what was the vibe with your buddy that went with you was he like oh i'm kicking your butt or was he like (laughs) okay i get what you're doing nick fishes all the time and he didn't comes home and yeah he's bragging about what he caught did he realize what he was doing compared to what you were doing or not yeah luckily ivan's like a a true homie he's like a really good friend and so he's he's interested in fishing and dying to learn more so he was all excited about it and and it, he understood enough that like it still was an ass kicking there's no doubt but like they gave him a rod and they're like here cast and he did it for like eight minutes and then he sat down and he's like i'm really tired it's really hot i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> so he's not getting back home and pulling his wife to the side and being like man i kicked his ass <laughs> Dude, that happened the first time that we went i've told that story before where the guy got sick and squished my sandwich when he took his nap but oh. it was the same thing. It was like he caught like four that day and I barely caught one. And yeah, it, it, that's always makes it fun. The cool thing too was, is so like those other fish that we catch, you don't eat roosters, obviously you let them go. But like a lot of the other stuff we catch is food. And and dude, the second or third day, the guy took one of the fish that I haven't caught. And instantly he told us to bring limes, red onion and uh, crackers and and two Serrano chilies. And dude, I he caught a fish and like 30 minutes later, there was a huge bowl of ceviche from the fish that we caught it wasn't even cold so it's like well i'm sure this is going to taste great and i've already ate uh cockroach floating in tortilla chips so yolo and it was amazing it was really good and didn't get sick so 
That's, key. that's pretty cool. What a yeah. trip, man. That's awesome. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm glad to see fishing was a big part of this trip. And uh, yeah, man, you seem a little bit, uh, you know, you seem refreshed by it a little bit. So pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, man. It was. And uh, we had our we had our blushes of danger and violence on this trip. It was a little bit nice. more in front of our face than it has been other times. And so it was a whole range of emotions on this trip. But uh, the fishing was definitely a highlight interesting well dude yeah i think maybe personally i'm gonna ask you after the podcast more about that but uh <laughs> we'll keep it on the fishing front thanks for sharing that uh rob what yeah. uh, what's been up with you dude compared to you two guys i pretty much have nothing i've been guiding a bunch <laughs> um locally the bite's been good we've just been catching a bunch of small fish for the most part but uh numbers have been fantastic hmm. um yeah i just like i said i really have nothing i want to grill uh grill josh about the open so uh, rob have you been fishing bartlett swirl or everything the last couple of weeks i've been on bartlett a bunch which okay. obviously is the reason we're catching little ones but i mean we had a couple 40 fish days uh, that's <laughs> phenomenal dude yeah so just fun and i say 40 fish days with folks that i had to teach how to cast you know what i mean uh -huh. so it's it's like that's pretty cool i had yeah, um, jumping in the boat at that point dude pretty yeah. much <laughs> I had a, I had an 81 year old gentleman. He was awesome. Like, I don't know how I guided him for two days in a row. And I don't know how many times he told me it was the best fishing trip of his life. Oh, so that means that's kind of like that kind of, yeah, it makes you feel good. So it was fun. But it's awesome, so rewarding at times, dude. I mean, it is, the, it is for the one that doesn't go that well. When you get, get one like that, man, it's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah. You feel like uh, you're on top of the world for sure. Is our audio all right? I feel like you guys got quieter. I don't know. Is that true or am I? I don't hear a difference in anybody. Okay. Personally. Okay. All right. Maybe it's, it's just par me. for the course for our podcast, man. So yeah, it'd be great if fluctuating audio and people would be like, "What's wrong?" We're, Everything's... we're still ironing out the details with iHeartRadio. You know, we're we're right there on the cusp of making it to XM. So other exactly. than our audio, we're right there. Dude, with all that stuff lately, I think more people listen to to this than. Uh, they would if we were on iHeartRadio, dude, <laughs> honestly. But, uh, well, that's cool, dude. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah, I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to get to, sp I'm going to spend some time on Roosevelt here in the next couple of weeks. We got that tournament coming up. So between my trips, I'm going to be heading up there. So that'll be fun. Cool. Share all your good spots with me. So I don't have to spend any time finding them. hundred percent. I will Thank you. for sure. I don't like the finding. I just like the catching. Yeah. Let's get to, let's get to the, U.S. Open champion. There's not really anything else to talk about, Rob. I think this episode's about done. So yeah, we're good. Yeah. All right. Well, before out. we do that, hey, let me give a <laughs> shout out to uh, all the listeners that actually fished the event because, like, uh, you guys wouldn't believe how many fishermen at like the pre-tournament meeting or the awards or just even you know at the ramp boat ramp would come up and say they listen to the podcast. So uh, thank you to uh, all, all the listeners, but. Uh, you know, uh, in this case, all, all, all the listeners that came up and, and said, Hey, and mentioned it, you know, uh, even a couple of my co-hanglers, uh, uh, partners, uh, you know, listen to the show. So we'll, I'll, I'll get a chance to thank them too, while we're talking about the tournament, but uh pretty cool, man. So nice. Had to give them a shout out. Yeah. So do you want me to start by asking you some questions and then you just go from there? Or how do you want to do it, Josh? I don't know. I mean, how about, uh, how about I just run through the tournament real quick and then, yep. If, if, you know, there's something, just interrupt me 
you know, and if, if it makes sense to interject with a question or whatever, hit me with it. And then after you want to do one that. Thing, one thing real quick I want to yeah. point out is, is your personal Mojave history and talk about all the tournaments you fish there and all <laughs> the tournaments you've won there prior to this. Cause I think there's kind of a miss people, people believe that's your local Lake. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, yeah, especially if you're like back East and you don't know the West that well, um, you would hear Arizona, you would think it would be a home lake. And it's, I feel kind of like I've been wasting my whole life by not going there. You know, it's like, <laughs> yep. it's four and a half hours from where I live. And, uh, I've been, this is my first tournament I fished there. I had gone in for two days in July after they announced that it, it had moved to Mojave. I was like, well, I got to look at it in case it's real windy in the official practice or whatever. So um, that was my only experience out there. And, uh, you know, dude, it's just like, how have I been this close to this awesome fishery forever and never been? Um, so, and, and, you know, sometimes it's a blessing to be a, a experienced local on a body of water for a tournament. And sometimes it's a curse. And in this, this week's case, it looked like it was, it was not a curse, but it wasn't that big of a factor to, to have a local advantage because of the, the way the water conditions set up and uh, just a, a, a ver variety of reasons. I think if the water would not have been dropping, you would have seen there's a lot of really good locals on this body of water. There's a handful of stud fishermen that, that fished the lake a lot that had a, a big advantage. And uh, that advantage would have been like really blown up had the water been high. And a lot of that, you know, sh uh, shallow water stuff that's normally in play would have been actually in play. And how much did they drop it? And for what reason? Yeah. So the lake is relatively full, right? This, the Lake Mead is, is the lake above Mojave. Then, then the Colorado river goes down to Havasu and Mead's the flood control lake or whatever the lake that they, they, uh, that, that will really fluctuate in Mojave. They keep relatively stable, almost full. Every fall, they draw it down about 10 feet to allow like a native chub to spawn. <laughs> yep. So, and, and I'm no biologist. I, Game and Fish was there and I should have asked him more about it. But my general understanding that could be completely wrong is they, what happens is when they drop the water 10 feet, it creates little pools and puddles up on the bank and those fish spawn in those pools and puddles. And then they raise it back up when it's over. So very weird, man. Uh, or they raise it back up in the spring, I guess, or before the spring. But anyways, um, we hit it right during that transition when it was falling. So it's full all summer long. You get to like mid to late September, they start dropping it. And it was going down as much as six inches a day. So it was real. It was a real drawdown. Like it, um, you know, by the end of the week, there was no toolies in the water. You know, and lake uh -huh. when it's high has five, six foot deep tulies, like great shallow water grass, um, a lot of wood in the water, stuff like that. And that just all just got pulled out of play, which is which <laughs> is pretty crazy, man. I mean, yeah, it, that's a that's a big, big change, right? Yeah. You know, when I went in July, I was like, my God, I, I remember specifically running pockets, marking the deeper, better tulies, thinking, dude, I don't, you know, I, this is pretty sweet. You know, I don't think this is going to be my main gig, but I want to know where all these, these good deeper toolies are at. And then, uh, it was just a waste of time, but it is what <laughs> it is, you know, pretty, but it's a pretty cool lake. It really sets up 
as a diverse fishery and for a lake in the middle of the desert, it's got a ton of awesome shallow water, heavy cover, um, which you would never imagine, you know, Havasu's got some for sure, but you, you know, you look at the Lake Mead or, um, or whatever, like this place, it's got a lot of trees. It's got, it's got all kinds of stuff. Unfortunately, in this case though, a lot of that stuff was pulled out of play by that dropping water. Mm. Yeah. Um, but so you know, cue the story then, cause that makes me wonder, but I'm sure you're going to explain it. So yeah. So what and how are they relating and, and, and what type of adjustments do you make when all that stuff isn't in play? Yeah. So, I mean, and everyone saw that coming, everyone knew that was happening, right? It was no surprise. You definitely couldn't mm-hmm. be like shocked that the water fell out of the trees overnight. Like it's <laughs> been, when it's been happening for a month straight, you kind of expect it, but um, I still went into practice really wanting to make sure that I fished both shallow and deep for a couple of reasons. Number one is, in my opinion, you, you can't go all in on anything in any practice ever because things are bound to change no matter what. Even if you think you can expect what's going to happen, it's going to change. And if you go into a practice saying, I'm only going to do this or that, and then it ends up not happening in the tournament or whatever, for whatever reason, the changes, you got nothing. So my goal was to, to, even if I was getting bit really well out deep, I still wanted to keep mixing in the shallow bite. So I had options in case the wind and the other real big reason was in case Hmm. the wind decided to blow really hard to be out there drop shotting a specific spot (laughs) in four or five foot waves. Right. Did that, did that manifest? Did you get some wind out there? Was it? Oh, and what's crazy. And Gunner came on and talked about how it always blows out there. And and that's not a lie. I mean, it does, but we had the craziest weather, late summer weather pattern. It was a hundred degrees, humid and no wind every day. Weirdest thing. Unexpected. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just kept expecting the wind to blow, and a couple, a couple points, wind finder, you know, during the extended forecast, especially during practice, would show wind during the tournament, and then it went away, and it just never, never blew, dude. I mean, it was absolutely slick, calm, like glass, more than there was even a ripple on the water. Oh. So it was really weird, and that also uh, made the shallow bite tougher. But anyways, in mm-hmm. practice, I tried to keep going back and forth, and I would get bit out deep. And then I'd get some bites up shallow too. Like you could definitely get a lot. You could probably get more bites shallow, but a lot of them were real, real small fish. I mean, I'm talking like six to 10 inch fish, but I caught some good ones on top water, um, you know, on different types of swim baits or a rigs. And, you know, there were fish shallow for sure. Um, were, and I was the, ready to do it if I needed go ahead, Rob. Were those small fish, smallmouth or largemouth? Both but okay. probably more smallmouth. What okay. the, the largemouth really got rehomed. You know what I mean? It's oh. <laughs> I think if there was anything that that had guys scratching their head, including me, is like, okay, where did the largemouth go? Right. You know, I caught one of the days randomly. I caught a, a big largemouth, like almost a four pounder, on a uh, a tournament day on a smallmouth spot. You know what I mean? Mm. A spot that I was sure it would be all smallmouth, and uh, I see five big old blobs on the graph. And, uh, they're set up a little differently and I pitch over there and they go right down and one of them eats my bait <laughs> and it's a big old largemouth. And I'm like, dang, were those all largemouth? You know, I'll never know. Uh-huh. But, uh, it was, or, or one had decided to go hang out with, with, with some other friends. He but... was the lone gringo. He's like me when I go to Mexico. That's <laughs> yeah. <person>. He's <laughs> sticking out like a sore thumb. He yeah. was for sure. He's trying dude. to think like smallmouth thoughts but it's that's, not working. That's hilarious. Everyone knows. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know, man. It was uh, the largemouth were a real question mark and props to the guys who were able to catch. I mean, there was a couple of guys that caught limits, limits of them every day. And that, that was not easy, but um, you know, I went back and forth, back and forth. And, and by the end of it, I had had a lot of deep stuff. You know, I, I had a lot of the lake, it fished pretty small. And I felt like by the time practice was over, I fished everything I wanted to fish. Um, and then, you know, going into the tournament, I was going to start deep. And then if, if I needed to, I was going to go shallow, but I wanted to hit my best deep stuff first. And uh, man, the first day of the tournament went so well. I was so mm. fortunate. Um, caught two giants off the first spot, one giant off the second spot, one giant off the third spot, uh-huh. two giants off the fourth spot. I was just like that, you know, and uh, the, we were done early and uh, we, there was a lot of luck involved. Like we were just the first guys to hit each one of these spots. The fish were set up and ready to bite and the right ones bit. Like we didn't ha- even have to burn up any three and a halfs or anything. Cause just all the giants bit first. It was just one of those <laughs> magical days, you know? Um, so what time were you done at that point? Probably like nine, nine thirty. Wow. We had all our weight, you know, it was amazing. So that's when you uh, hope you packed a nice lunch <laughs> as the co-angler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? You don't want to go to a spot that you think you might need later in the week and catch right. a three and three quarter when your smallest one's four pounder, you know? So, uh-huh. so what um, did you do then? We just hit the most obvious stuff we could that, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I tried to fish stuff. It sounds bad, but it's a, it's a, you try to fish, catch fish that aren't going to bother you or affect you the rest of the week. If you're going to burn a fish, it's not going to be your fish. You know what I mean? So I just was hitting very obvious community hole type stuff uh, for the rest of the day. And then um, ended up with 23 and a half pounds. So had the lead by like three pounds, which was just crazy. Just did not expect, uh, didn't expect it, man. So it was pretty awesome. And it was the cushion that we really needed all week. You know, I mean, um, but the pressure was definitely starting to build because, you know, you bring in a bag like that and you got the lead. Everyone's already pretty fired up about it. Right. So you're, you walk to the, down to your boat, you got a hundred guys saying, Oh dude, good job. This is your tournament. This is your tournament. And then, you know, you go to the gas station, people, Oh, this is your tournament. Uh, you know, and, and that's great. And you appreciate it big time, but the pressure just started building there. Right. So the second day, pretty similar stuff, like, uh, get out now I'm drop shot and I'm throwing a Berkeley flatworm. Um, and it's the same deal. Like the first couple spots, we don't catch much, but like the third, fourth and fifth spots, they all just produce and and we blink and we got 20 pounds again. We got a good bag again. Um, and the same thing, we just, the rest of the day, we're looking to upgrade, but we're not looking to upgrade off something that we could need the next day. And the, the fishing pressure is insane. Like <laughs> all the guys that had, had been fishing shallow at this point, the shallow fish are gone. So they've all migrated out deep. And I mean, it's just musical chairs on any good <laughs> looking, obvious smallmouth spot. So like I'm letting stuff rest, but I'm watching 20 other guys fish it. And it oh. is what it is. You know what I mean? You don't blame, like it's can't blame anyone for that. I totally would be doing the same thing myself. But uh, at least I know I can't be out there sticking those fish um, mm-hmm. and attracting more attention to it too, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we just kind of, again, just hop around. We end up calling one more time. And then my co-angler hooked a crazy fish at the end of the day. Um, it, we never even saw it, but it was bulldogging him big time. And it ended up 
cutting his line in the motor prop, which, I mean, how oh, often does oh. that happen? How often is a fish so crazy that, you know, he's under control, he's out off the side of the boat and he makes a run, dude, and you blink and, and the line's broke. So wow. <laughs> he went wow. right, right through the motor and it just cut it like a pair of scissors. But um, <laughs> yeah, ended up not hurting us. Not a Speaking big of crazy fish, Sean Coffey had one jump in his boat as he was fighting it. Whoa, that's landed insane, on the, dude. Landed on the back deck and he said his his uh his co-angler jumped on it like a fumble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, that's awesome. So awesome. And yeah, Sean had just... a great tournament. That's cool, dude. The number of guys at the weigh-in, I've watched all three days of the weigh-in, and the number of dudes that said they lost fish just proves that those fish are insane. That's Funky. a smallmouth tournament, no matter what. If you're you know, so you're just trying to keep your percentages down. Yeah. If you're losing yeah. 25% or less of your fish, then I think you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But so, and then, uh, you know, shout out that my first day co-angler Kyle, uh, second day, Zach, um, and then third day, Mike, they, uh, they were all awesome to fish with and all contributed. Um, you know, it was, it was great fishing with all those guys, but yeah, so that was Zach, that Zach's fish that went nuts and bust him off on the prop. And then the final day, um, you know, I had a four and a half pound lead over Spencer Sheffield and Cliff Perch and, and some other guys were catching really good too. Patrick too, a lot of good fishermen in the top 10. Um, so that cushion was nice. And I was hoping I would just catch another 20 pounds early and just, just walk right in. You know what I mean? But of course it didn't work out that way, dude. No keepers in the first two hours. Oh. <laughs> there's literally everywhere I want to fish. There's a boat on it um dude just your it's your nightmare right when you're when you dream about that scenario and uh you're just trying to stay cool and fish hard and the beautiful thing about it and this is a great rule that billy has uh, we may have talked about it in the past but on the final day everyone fishes so you got guys that are completely out of it that are maybe just fishing for a big fish check or also maybe just trying to learn something for the next year you've got guys that are fighting for a check you got guys that are fighting to try to win the tournament everyone's still out on the water but what he does is if he goes in reverse order the first boat goes out first and comes in last so and the last oh. place guy goes out last and comes in first which is dude if you're in last place i've been there you you don't need to fish till five o'clock on the final day you're ready to yeah. hit the road in about three right yeah uh but I knew that we had a 515 weigh in. So that was like such a big relief knowing, okay, dude, I got to catch just five it's fish. It's going to come. Yeah. Just stick to it. You got 11 hour fishing day here, 10 hour <laughs> fishing day to catch five bass. So um, that was, that was definitely on my mind. And that was helping me stay cool. Uh, Mike was helping me stay cool. And uh, we, we end up running like two over to a spot uh kind of a deep a different type deal a little grass patch that i had been saving i never fished it the first two days there were some little wolf packs of fish swimming around it in practice decent ones and uh, i had seen them on live scope and um we went over there and caught a three pounder and it wasn't like a <clears throat> monumental fish that's going to win you the tournament but it was like a momentum at least yeah, yeah we had one of the five bass that we could potentially need in the boat so now we only need four and we have positive momentum and that, that really helped a lot. Just, just having a bass in the live well that you could potentially win the tournament with it in your bag. You know, it wasn't a one pounder or something like that. It was huge. Uh -huh. So, um, we, we take that thing and we start, start fishing again. We get back on our other stuff, get into a better rhythm of timing and uh, just slowly put it together. You know, every hour and a half, 
hour, hour and a half, we would catch a good one. Um, and uh, by the end of the day, we made with with about 20 minutes of fishing to go, dude, I hook a giant biggest fish of the day wow. and fight it all the way to the boat. And it comes off at the boat, dude. Oh, after we had not had a bite in like two hours, you know, and that was the, I mean, we had like maybe like 16 pounds at the time, seven, 16, 16 and a half pounds at the time. And, uh, that was the fish. Right. And I lose them on the side of the boat and, uh, I want to throw up, but obviously there's no use in crying over spilt milk. So we just keep fishing. And five minutes later, we catch another one, similar size, dude. Oh yeah. I caught. So it was, uh, it, 10 it hours and 45 minutes one. into it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Dude. It's crazy. Like it's crazy. And, uh, that was enough to hold on. We had 18 pounds. We won by a one six. So, uh, you know, Ooh. it wasn't, it was close, but it was still a pretty good cushion. And, and Spencer was on fire. Like talking to him, it sounds like he could have, you would have put him on the water for another week straight. He would have caught 20 pounds every day all week. So, uh, I, whatever he was, he was fishing a similar style, but it sounded like he had maybe some, some fish that were replenishing really well. He was a dangerous man out there. So uh, I'm glad that the tournament ended when it did. And uh, we, caught, <laughs> we caught just enough, man. Well, first off, big congrats, dude. What a what a cool, uh, you're a deserving cat. And uh, you earned it, man. That was definitely not, you know, that was a marathon and uh, you finished strong. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you, man. It was, it was a special tournament for me, of course. And, uh, you know, it. It, it, it means a lot. And, and, you know, being around all the Western fishermen, it was like being around, I talked about at the awards, but it was like being around your family, you know, the U S opens like a family reunion, dude, you know, cause I, I don't, these are guys that I've been fishing around and fishing with since I was a teenager, so many friends and it's like an extended family and you get to see them once a year at the open. So Nice. To be able to celebrate afterwards with everybody, it was pretty, it was like literally being with your uh, extended family. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, my, uh, my celebration got cut short later that night. I ended up getting so sick. I still don't know if it was food poisoning or heat exhaustion, but uh, about 2 a.m., dude. I just got so sick and, uh, you know, to save out, to save the graphic details, I'll say I lost 10 pounds in 24 hours <laughs> and the next day, I mean, all I had to do was get up from the hotel, hook up the boat and drive home. Well, hooking up the boat was like the biggest chore. I mean, it literally felt like running a marathon just to walk out of the hotel room and hook up the boat and go sit in the truck. Like it was so, I was so exhausted. And so I came home. I got home at like two and I slept from 2 uh, p.m. to 10 a.m. the next morning. Oh, I wow. just dude, I was dead and, and I'm feeling a lot better now. Thankfully. Yeah. I talked, I talked to Josh on the way home. He's like, I'm just a shell of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I was dead, dude. I literally was like, it was an out of body experience. So uh, See, it was for cool. the listeners. This is Josh's <clears throat> way of saying that Lake Mojave is like three and a half hours from Vegas. And when you win the U.S. Open, obviously, uh -huh. you crawl down the strip from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And then you get heat exhaustion this from your dad's celebration in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Right. If it was it's in, like, Podunk, Oklahoma, we'd believe you. That's exactly what my dad said. But another big shout-out, too, to Todd Klein, who I, I room with uh, for this tournament every year. He's such a cool guy. And, uh, yeah, he uh, – he had some liquid IVs and, and stuff oh. like that. So he was, he was, he was helping me out and making sure I wasn't going to die. Um, he had my back for sure, but it was, uh, 
it, it was promise you it was not a uh, a partying situation. Crawl down this trip. It was a weird one, dude. But anyways, um, uh, great week, really special. Thanks to uh, you know all the people that reached out, and uh, yeah, we'll see. Next year should be pretty awesome again for for anyone who's thinking about fishing, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get back. I'm looking forward to just kind of getting back to a little bit of a more normal routine at home. You know, doing doing these podcasts, doing uh, a few guide trips, and just fishing at home, hanging out with the family because it's been a really busy. Um, late summer early fall for me man i haven't been around much and uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm just worn out i bet josh yeah. talk talk about the the new trophy that um that they came up with and just tell the listeners a little bit about that yeah um so that trophy is pretty cool they call it uh billy 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 Egan from One Bass. It's the Aaron Martin. It's dedicated to Aaron Martins, and it's a perpetual trophy that stays with One Bass. So every year the winner gets stamped on the trophy, you know. So it's just to be on that trophy is like the biggest honor you could have as a Western fisherman, you know. So I, I, I'm, you know, can't believe that I'll have uh, that I'll be on that thing next year. But yeah, it's it's really cool, dedicated to Aaron Martins. And if you read the list of names, you know, you see Rick Clun, Mike Folk's dad, um, John Murray, Aaron Martin, Gary Klein, so many of those guys that um, you know, uh Greg Hines, like the the dudes that have won that tournament over the years, it's pretty, pretty crazy and cool. So I think it's a great idea by Billy. Um to, to have that thing and it'll be interesting to uh to watch that thing grow over the years yeah last la it's funny last night um knowing we we're gonna do the podcast today i was reading stuff and i read about greg hines win and how he spent the entire summer fishing lake mead prior to the event we gotta get him on dude that we have so to. cool to hear about that like greg's one of my like I mean, when I was a kid fishing, like he was the guy in the valley here. So wow. it's, uh, it'd be pretty cool. That was 1981. Think mm -hmm. about that long time ago. So when's the last time you talked to him? Um, it's been a while. I talked to, uh, Chris Williams. He, he works with Chris a little bit, does some guiding for bear hunts up, up in the mountains. Um, and yeah, he, Chris talks to him all the time and I just talked to Chris the other day. So said he's doing well, but Think about the evolution, dude, of, and whether it's good or bad, look at that one, 1981. He's out there in whatever boat he was in. Yep. Doing probably top water, but the, the, the baits that were available were limited. Yep. Um, he he caught look, his last day limit on like a man's auger tail, I think, but majority of his fish came on a Zara spook. He caught like three pound averages. Wow. Yeah, on a Zara spook catching, and the last day his bite kind of went away, and he ran up. Uh, I don't know. He ran all the way up the Overton, and you know, just think about it. Like their boats were, the guys were running one fifties, were big motors, and yep. the boats were probably seventeen, eighteen foot boats on Lake Mead, like just unreal. So, yeah, we need to get him on. Um, Josh, I have a couple questions. One is, like, what percentage of guys do you think had forward facing sonar in the U.S. Open? Dude, I would say 75% probably okay. had it on the boat. Now, you know, uh, I don't know how many of them used it this week, but um, maybe less, maybe less, but it's hard to say. I mean, it's what, what would your guess be? I, I would guess every bit of 75%, okay. but I guess my question is, is like, 
why is, why does such a small group of guys benefit from them? People freak out. They're like, Oh, everybody has live scoping. That's the only reason they're catching them. But there's like, it's pretty evident the tour level guys, and maybe it's just time with it, but definitely do better with it is, do you have any, any thoughts on that or ideas why that is? You know, it's a, well, I would say like this week in particular, cause I know there's a lot of guys that are, are really good using that forward facing sonar. Um, that, that fish around here, you know? Um, but I would say we were just all tuned in cause we've been doing it all summer. Like literally just take the exact pattern and style we've been fishing all summer up North and just transferred it right into this one. So we had a warm up. We were pretty sh- Our swords were pretty sharp coming into this yep. tournament, uh, for that style of fishing. And, uh, you know, it was just really one of the first times it's completely dominated in a van out West. Like as far it's, it's forward facing sonar has definitely been a huge tool utilized by a lot of Western fishermen and tournaments, no doubt about it, but it was dominated by not, yeah, not to that level dominated right. dude, by, yeah, yeah. It, it was almost like a tournament at, uh, Lake Erie or, or Lake Ontario or thousand islands where, all the dudes in the top 10 were doing the same thing. They're drop shotting a flatworm, watching forward facing sonar live scope. So it's pretty wild, man. Um, and again, like I said, it, next year could be totally different. I think a big reason this year was that was the water was so warm still. It was still 80 degrees because of the, the late summer we've had. So the fish hadn't made that big giant shallow push yet. They hadn't gotten in their big groups and started chasing chat around, which next year they might. Um, and, and the falling water too. It was just, uh, the perfect storm for that to really work, uh, this time. I hope, I hope that, cause they're going to Mojave next year again. Right. I would guess. So I just hope Mojave changes like Mead does like, like, Meads one in a completely different yeah. area, different technique every single year. And yep. I'm hoping Mojave is the same way just for the, I mean, the U S open deserves that. Right. I agree. So. Right. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a whole different lake. It's a whole different, different deal, but yeah, it's, you know, the weather's going to be different every year. Maybe if the dates, if it's not the same week every year, you could definitely see more var- variety in the fishing, but I agree yeah. with you, man. And, and with the pressure too, like, <laughs> It's hard to, you look at any tournament winning area or pattern from any tournament on any lake, you know, there's a MLF tournament coming up on a lake. There's an elite series tournament coming up on a lake. You read about how that thing was won last year. It is very rarely won in the same area the second time. Right. Doing the same thing. Almost never. So obviously every lake's it's unique situation, but we'll see. We'll see what happens here. You back, Nick? Yeah, on my phone, my uh, stolen laptop. I was bragging you guys that someone left their window down in a Honda Civic at the grocery store last time. Short <laughs> laptop, it got the better of me. Dude, it was my. It was just like, and I'm done. Right, and now it's uh, making a lot of noises. It's pretty hot, and I see a little smoke. So I think. Uh, Are you serious? I wish it'd be cool if it was, but no, it's not smoking. It's I'm just, so gullible, dude. So but Josh, it's definitely not working. And Nick, I have. I have a story and I hope I can tell it correctly, but, um, a good buddy of mine fished the open this year. He had not fished tournaments in probably 15 years. So he's been under a rock, right? Bought a uh-huh. brand new boat, shows up, catches one bass the first day. Uh, the next day he caught, well, his partner caught four bass behind him. 
So he weighed okay. in four fish. Um, and his partner caught them on a flatworm, a Berkeley <laughs> flatworm. Cameron had, well, I shouldn't even say his name. I just said his name. Didn't I? <laughs> Anyhow, I can take he, had, it out. he had no idea what a flatworm was. Oh, well, neither do I. I thought it was one that was like a robo worm that's on the bottom of your boat that someone stepped on. Hold on. It gets better. So at the end of the day, the gentleman asked Cameron, how much do I need to give you for gas money? And Cameron said, how about a bag of flatworms? And the hey. guy hemmed in hard and did not want to give him a bag of flatworms. He wanted to give him cash. Oh, that's a testament for flatworms right there. That's a real good uh, little testament right there. I like yes. that. He didn't dude. want to give him a hundred bucks. He want, he'd rather give him a hundred bucks versus a bag of flatworms. So. Dang. That's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah I don't know uh, if Cameron wrestled him for a bag because he got a yeah. bag and caught some fish on it the next day. <laughs> he ultimately did. That's good. Hilarious. Dude, that's, that's so funny. Cool. Well, that autographed bag of flatworms that Josh gave me, I, I still hold on to those. Dude, I sleep with those things. Dude, now, I sent... I sent Cameron a video from a tackle shop, uh, the wall covered in flatworms, just to let him know that they're, they are available. <laughs> they're available now. It was funny a couple of years ago how hard they were to get. But yeah, yeah. If, you want, if you want a bag, you can find a bag pretty easily uh, these days, which is good. <laughs> I always love it when that's a good story. Has, like alliterations and parallels to the drug world. And like now it's like it used to be hard to find a bag of something. And now there's bags of it everywhere. It sounds like other things that I've participated Good in Lord. in my life. You just always got to bring always, up. <laughs> always get, always got to go down that road. I live on that road. That's where my address is. Wow. Well, that's cool, um, dude. I, you know, and it, uh, thanks again, guys, for uh, for bringing it up. I think uh, we could probably, unless you have any more questions, we could wrap up the U.S. Open talk. Yeah, that's about it, dude. I okay. like it was it was it was kind of awkward because we didn't really talk about how you caught them in prior because we wanted to save it for the podcast but sure. thanks great story and uh congratulations yeah. on a on a career defining moment dude it's well, pretty thanks cool. man yeah it's i've been lucky enough to uh dude, we haven't done our podcast because i've been doing everyone else's podcast i've, I've probably <laughs> done a dozen of them um you know, over the last couple of days telling the, so I'm, I'm good at telling the story for sure. But um, yeah, it's just like, and, and thankful, everything was, was awesome. Um, and now I'm ready definitely to, to move on to the next tournament. So, um, but yeah, uh, real quick, before we wrap this thing up, let's um, do a little bit. Uh, let's, let's take, take this off of Lake Mojave and just talk more fall fishing in general, because uh, you know, I talked about it in my last fishing report on YouTube, how it's just like, it is top water time right now. Um, after we wrapped up the open, it cooled off both there and here. And uh, no matter where you live in the country, like your best bait's probably a top water. You know, maybe way up north, it's a little different. But if you're fishing anywhere in the south or the middle part of the country, uh, some type of top water is going to catch fish right now. And I just want to ask you guys what your one single favorite fall top water is. If you could only have one, what would it be? You can start it, Rob. Um, you said only one, so I'm going to have to go with a Zara spook, super spook. Which one? Super spook. Which, uh, what color? Chartreuse top, white belly. Nice. That's yep. cool. Why is that? It's just, it's just, a. it's a good all around bait that catches better than average fish, cast a long ways, hooks them well. Um, you know, that's one thing with a walking bait. I think people... Remember the Sammy? 
Yep. Like the lucky crab Sammy, dude, you get bites on that thing, but it was so light. It would get blown out of the water by the fish a lot of times and they'd miss it. Whereas a, a spook or the super spook sticks in the water a little better and, and allows, allows those fish to get it a little bit. That's better, a really, so. uh, that's a really good point right there, dude. People yeah. don't talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, definitely that. How about, how about you? Nick, let's hear yours. I'll, I'll finish <clears throat> it off. I was just going to piggyback on whatever Josh said. I was just going to change the color. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> I didn't be like, well, he's an idiot because he's not throwing, you know, green pumpkin if he's the opposite color. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. That's funny, dude. But now that you've called my bluff, I was going to pretend like the audio on my phone wasn't good. Um, you Lucky picked bucket. top water. And, and I mean, that's like the funnest part of fall fishing. I, I have yet to put any big checks or trophies on my mantle from competitive bass fishing in the fall, but I do like to throw top water. So I'll go somewhere different. I feel like you could probably do a lot of damage. Um, I think, I think fish have kind of moved shallow and deep, at least out here. So I'm going to pick either like a chatterbait or a spinnerbait. No, we wanted, a top water, Nick. We wanted your favorite top water. <laughs> okay, we're done. You get one. He's well, done. no, I changed because Rob well, picked top water. <laughs> no, I didn't pick top water. Josh asked what, what <laughs> no what's one remembers favorite, what josh asked hey let's go with a buzz bait Nick. Water. yeah there i you was go. gonna Nick. say a buzz bait cool yeah, buzz but, bait, dude right on you can't you can't say buzz bait after he says there a spook it's the same fish you're catching it's a dude, it's a different top water no, i okay, love well, it uh, well i would say that i'd go with a deep diving crankbait up okay. shallow. good good thank you up right, on I'm the gonna, top with the hook the hook exactly. wrapped around the line wrapped around the spiral exactly there you go yeah i'm gonna go with a uh a chopo 90 from berkeley the uh that that little chopo 90 is such a little killer because it um and i'm throwing it in a bone color yep it's i mean that's that's the little top water that i tie on at the beginning of the year and i throw it everywhere it works so well it's not over like like the big plopping style baits can be a little overpowering on certain days especially when you're in really really shallow water that thing's not too overpowering to throw up in a foot of water when the fish push way back into a shallow bay or creek, but it also has enough ump to it to draw fish up over a deeper tree or something like that. So I throw it on like a 30 pound braid, a seven foot medium rod. And uh, man, you could cover so much water. It's like a buzz bait. I just think it's a more realistic version of a buzz bait. It's a buzz bait that looks more like a little shad than a buzz bait actually does. Um, so I just, I just love throwing that thing. So you say you tie it on the beginning of the season. It's always there. How many, how many rods in your locker are just tied on with the one bait and just stays that way That's all a, year? It's, it's a good question. You know how that just goes in, in series, right? Like you yeah. have a great, you, you, when you have com, extra confidence in a certain bait or a certain, certain one little thing, it, it, it earns its spot in the boat for a little yeah. longer than maybe some other rods, right? Like some yeah. of those crankbaits that I had been throwing this summer, for the smallmouth, like they they're still in the boat because like I want to make it work again, right? Like I want to I want to try that at home. Whereas typically, like if it wouldn't have been so successful for me this summer, I might have ripped them out a little sooner. So that's a good question, but I think it's real goes in waves for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. How about you? Oh, I'm like I have specific rods that never have anything else tied on them. The vibrating jig, dude. I got yeah. a seven three medium heavy that's got a vibrating jig on it. Twelve yeah. months out of the year. A drop yeah, shot I've got a, rod. I've got a rod that always has a Carolina rig, a rod that always has a football jig. And like 
it's just, I don't know. I guess I'm so basic. I just don't ever have to change them. So that's a good, well, that's a good thing. And those yeah. are the Carolina rig one is pretty unique. And I bet there wouldn't be a lot of people that, that could say the same anymore. Right. 10 years, 20 years ago, everyone would have a Carolina rig always on, but they're missing I out. Think, I, I agree. I, I love filming <laughs> that thing, but I just, I even admit like I throw it situationally, but I don't have one tied on all the time. So that's I watched, interesting. I watched the elite guys on um, lacrosse on the Mississippi River catching uh, Carolina rig fish on a three-quarter ounce Carolina rig in two foot of water. Crazy, it's just huh? amazing. Like that, it's so versatile. It's unreal. It really is versatile. It, it's so good for so many things. And it, dude, the other best thing about it is when's the last time you lost a bass on a Carolina rig? You God, don't. That's that the neg- that's a negative though, because you kill a few because yeah. they they eat it so well. I, but, I hear that. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. But but anyhow, back to the top water. I didn't mean to derail. No, that's us. good. And I think that's it. I mean, we're over an hour. Nick and I got to get our kids ready for school here. So. Um, Thanks again for everyone for tuning in and listening. Uh, Do you guys have any last words? Nope. Other than congrats on a great win. Uh, I'm going to need the listeners to comment in the comment section of Apple Podcasts. Whose story was more interesting, mine or Josh? I just need confirmation from the listener universe of who's better as my three-year-old screams in the background. Even though we've only done like four podcasts in the last six months, we do need some ratings, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Bring them guys. Come on. We, we appreciate it big time, but, uh, I mean, the algorithm has us down in 947th place for fishing podcast. So if we could really crack the top nine thirties, we'd be eternally grateful. And don't forget five-star only anything less. (laughs) Correct. Don't don't even bother. Our egos can't (laughs) handle it. It has to be positive feedback. If it's, if it's not positive, it's not feedback. It's just hate. We're West Coast softies, remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was our best, uh, best one ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys, we uh, will be back at you really soon. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>